Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8, eight please. I want to just keep straight to the point tonight. If you were here on Friday, it'll be helpful. <laughs> if you weren't, you're going to have to pray to God for special grace and understanding because we're picking up from where we were there. What I want you to see in Isaiah chapter 8 is that the Spirit of Christ often speaks through the prophets. How many of you know that? That yes. it's often said in the New Testament it was the Spirit of Christ testifying. And the Spirit of Christ, the second person of the Godhead, always was, is, and will be. He became flesh in the person of Jesus, but that wasn't the beginning of his existence, because he's always existed. And the plan of him coming to a cross and dying wasn't an emergency plan, it was God's eternal purpose. How many of you know that? That before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain for us. Amen? And so, as you go through the Old Testament, you'll find that the Spirit of Christ bursts forth through the mouth of a prophet and speaks the passion of his heart. Looking forward to the days of the church, looking forward to the days when through his blood he's going to deal once and for all with the devil. Amen? Amen. How many of you know that sickness is from the devil? How many of you know that depression and every evil thing in the face of the earth comes directly from the evil one? How many of you know that the devil's joy is to destroy families and to smash marriages? How many of you are aware of how much the devil is active in our society and the gloom and the darkness of this present day is directly and clearly the activity of Satan in our midst? Well, what I want you to see in Isaiah chapter 8 was a similar day of darkness. The uh, writer to the Gospels, Matthew, picks up this word of, of um, Isaiah and refers to it at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That as Jesus began to move in the power of his ministry, he says, those that sat in darkness saw a great light. In other words, God's answer to the darkness was the light of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that? Deeply believe it. Amen? And we know from the book of Hebrews, who picks up this very verse that I'm going to speak from, that this refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not guessing this, we're told by Scripture itself that this is none other than the person of Jesus. We know from the testimony of the Gospels, we know from the testimony of the book of Hebrews, that this is the Spirit of Christ telling us how to deal with demonic darkness. And God's ways have not changed, because the darkness hasn't changed. And God hasn't changed. And the light which dispelled the darkness then, is the light which will dispel the darkness now. Amen? So I want us to see that. So what we're seeing or hearing here is the very Spirit of Christ speaking through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. And we find in verse 19, and it's, it's gone back several chapters to describe terrible darkness. And it says in verse 19 of Isaiah 8, that when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? 
should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And then it talks about verse 22, they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. And then you get the answer in chapter 9 that those who sat in darkness are going to see a great light. Now this is the tragedy, because while that darkness was going on, and I, my mind flashes to the New Testament when on the great day of the, um, the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last great day, they went through a ceremony in the great religious city of Jerusalem. And they went to the pool of Siloam and took water out of the pool of Siloam. And in golden vessels they carried in ceremony to pour it upon the sacrifice. And the reason they did this was because they were looking back to the past when, by a, in a miraculous way, God had provided water for them in the midst of the wilderness. They were remembering a miraculous past. They were remembering a God who did mighty things for them in history. They were also looking forward to a future day when they would sit down with Abraham in the kingdom of heaven. They knew about the kingdom of heaven. They were going to sit down with Abraham in a great feast, but they did not know the feast was the Passover feast. It was to be the feast, the marriage feast of the Lamb. They didn't know that. They had some light, but not all the light. And as Jesus physically stood in the temple and watched this ceremony going on, something in him cried out. It was the same Spirit of Christ that cried out through the mouth of Isaiah the prophet. And as he saw them looking back to a miraculous past and looking forward to a, a wonderful future, but having no answer for the now, he cries out with a loud voice, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he that believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, if you believe in me, the way the Bible describes me, if you believe in me to be as big as the Bible says I am, if you believe in me as the Jesus that can heal marriages, heal the sick, save the lost, destroy demons, cast out oppression, cast out fear, totally remake you, then I'm here! I'm here! If you come to me and drink, and believe in me, as the Scriptures have said, I guarantee that out of your life will flow rivers of living water. You won't only be blessed in yourself, but you will be a blessing. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Now, do you believe that Scripture? Yeah. I believe it with all my heart. I believed it years ago. I took hold of it by faith, and I've seen that Scripture fulfilled in my life. I've seen it fulfilled in my wife. I've seen it fulfilled in my children. I believe God for my kids. My kids are on fire for God today and they are a source of blessing. It's not an accident. We've laid hold of the Scriptures. Will you do that, beloved ones? Every one of you. Say, I'm going to be that sort of Christian. So come back now to Isaiah chapter 8. And we've just described the condition. And verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. You see, here's a, a godly prophet looking at the demonic darkness but he doesn't see any hope for the now. God's hidden his face from us. 
What can we do about this present demonic darkness? As we think of the multitudes in bondage to drugs, and we think of the, the corruption and the wickedness, we think of all the evil that's sweeping over our world. Oh, God's hidden his face from us. All we can do is to wait for him. And then comes the cry. It's the identical cry to the one which we hear centuries later on that great Feast of Tabernacles. Here it comes in verse 18. We know who the I is because the Bible tells us. Here am I! Can you hear the cry? Here am I! You're looking for an answer to the darkness? You say, oh, the Lord's hid his face from us. There's nothing we can do about the present situation. Here am I! Can't you see me? What are you waiting for? Here am I! And now he adds something else. Here am I! Because something's happened now, you see. Because he's become the saviour of the world, he's given birth to a church. And he's got children in the spirit. And he's brought forth children with the intention that they should do everything that he does and be everything that he is. Do you believe that? Because he said in another place, the works that I do, you will do. And greater works than these you're going to do because I'm going to the Father. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and through you, the Spirit of Christ will do all that he ever did in the person of Jesus. Do you believe that? Here am I. Will you add the next bit? And the children that the Lord has given me. If you're one of those children, wave your hand tonight. Hallelujah. See, this is the cry of the Spirit. This is His answer to the darkness. Oh, what can we do? The Lord's hidden His face from us. It's not the time for the Lord to move. We have to sit here passively while the devil runs over us like a steamroller. No, you won't. You can rise up and do something about it, beloved. When the Spirit of the Lord comes in like a flood, we have to just lie down and wait for Him to finish running over us and dissipate all his fury. Is that what the Bible says? When the Spirit of the Lord comes in like a flood, the, the Spirit of, when the enemy, I'm sorry, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Amen? If you're of that standard, wave your hand. Say, we're a company that believes we can do something about this. All right, let's read on in verse 18. Here am I, and the children whom the Lord has given me, we are for signs and wonders. What are we for? Signs and wonders from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. See, Mount Zion was the center of God's rule and power. It was the beginning of the kingdom as David established it in the allegory of David's kingdom. I'm saying that quickly for those who were up in uh, Brownsville this morning. Can you understand the, the flow here? See, this is the heart of the rule and government of God. And God says, I'm raising up children who will be just like me. Just like me. And we're going to deal with the darkness. And we're going to move in the power 
of signs and wonders because that's what we're for. How did Jesus deal with the darkness of his day? He received the anointing of the Spirit, settled legally who he was. If you were here on Friday night, you'll know what I'm talking about. And then he went out in the power of the Spirit to take the devil's kingdom to pieces. And wherever he saw the devil at work, he came against the devil and undid his works. In fact, he said in 1 John 3, 8, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested. What was he manifested for? That he might destroy... No, not the works. Let's get it right. That he might destroy all the works. Not one in a hundred or even one in ten. But all the works. So if you see a work of the evil one, you know that Jesus was manifested to destroy it. Is that not simple? That's so, it's got to be destroyed. Hallelujah. And for three and a half years, the Spirit of God, through the person of the Lord Jesus, went about destroying the work of Satan. In fact, Peter summarizes the ministry of Jesus in these words. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, he said, Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Amen? Isn't that what he did? And can you see how in this verse, he and the children are linked together to be inseparably rejoined in this ministry. Whatever he did, you're supposed to do. Whatever he was, you are in him. Amen? Is that not true? Hallelujah. So that's the passion of my heart. It's been the passion of my heart all my life, and it's increasingly being fulfilled in my life. I want it to be fulfilled in yours. I want you to say, right, every bit of demonic darkness in the Rio Grande Valley, I and the Saviour who bought me, who made me his child, he and I together, we are going to see it all destroyed. He was manifested, first of all, in his own body, his own flesh, which went to Calvary and died for my sins, but now he's manifested in my flesh. Say that to your neighbor. If you're saved, if you've received Jesus, say, did you realize that Jesus Christ is now manifested in my flesh? Tell your neighbor that. Confess it. And say it. Did you realize that? I, I didn't know this, but now I know it. And if they look doubtful, say, did you know that it's true for you? Say, Jesus Christ is manifested in your flesh if you're born again. Amen? What's he manifested for? Amen? Let's say it all together. What's he manifested for? To destroy all the works of the evil. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So what's stopping us? Well, we're going to get down to that right now. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to make some strides into this tonight. Do you believe me? We're going to see things happen in this building, but that's not going to be the end. That's going to be just the the mere trickle of the beginning of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Familiar scriptures. Verse 7. Verse 7. It says in the earlier verses that there are Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Who works all these works? God does. The Spirit of God does. Who works them all? 
Now remember that, it isn't you, it's God that works these works. He just uses your humanity to legalize his activity in the earth. You got that? Right, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all or for the good of everybody. Now take the whole community, the whole population of the Rio Grande Valley and say, that's my community. That's my community. And God's made a promise that he's going to release the manifestation of the Spirit for the good of everybody. It's the same promise that he made to Abraham when he said, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Amen? Now what's going to happen? He's going to manifest the Spirit. It says in this verse, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to to all. So say to your neighbor, that includes you. If you're born again, if you've received the Spirit, and it includes the children, by the way, it includes the children, you get your kids moving in miracles while they're young, you won't have to worry about it later. I remember when I was in India, I, had a, I was writhing in agony with a kidney stone. There was no medical help for me. My daughter, eight years old at the time, laid her hands on me. I was instantly healed. I've never been troubled with it since. Yeah. Hallelujah. You see, you get your kids in this early, they will never learn about unbelief. Amen? Children are natural believers. Never let them get contaminated. Amen? So that's what we're for. To do the works of Jesus. Now what does the word manifestation mean? What does it mean? It means a visible showing forth that can be perceived with the natural eyes. Would you agree with me? It's the sort of thing that the world can see without having to be in any way spiritually sensitive. It says in Matthew 21, it uses the same word three times, and it says in this way Jesus was manifested to his disciples after his resurrection. And what did he do? He appeared to them visibly, he talked with them, he cooked breakfast for them, they had communion with him, and they touched him and handled it, and they knew he wasn't a ghost, they knew he was real. And it says in the Bible, in this way, Jesus was manifested to them after his resurrection. So what we're talking about here is something which the world can see, touch, hear, and take hold of. They're going to know that they know that they know because they can see it with their own eyes. Now, every one of us in this meeting, if you're born again, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, if you have received the Holy Spirit, then you have the right to to this according to Scripture. So say to your neighbor, I'm going to get hold of this first. And the Spirit is going to manifest himself through me. Say it, come on. The Spirit is going to manifest himself through me. Through me. Through me. He's going to manifest himself. And it's going to be for the common good. It's going to be for the world out there. They're going to see my glorious Saviour because the Spirit's manifested through me. I can't wait to start. Then as you go through verses 8, 
9 and 10, in this passage of Scripture, you will find that there are nine manifestations, or nine gifts, if you like, of the Spirit. There's the word of wisdom, there's the word of knowledge, there's prophecy, there's speaking in tongues, there's interpretation of tongues, there's discerning of spirits, there's faith, there's working of miracles, and there's gifts of healings. Now what I want you to do is say, by the grace of God, I'm going for at least one of these. Now, if you've got some already, if you, listen, listen, if you've got some already, go for another one. Amen? And I want you to be going particularly for the gifts of healings and the working of miracles. And so, well, that, I want that manifestation. I can't see a scripture that forbids me from asking, can you? In fact, if you've got the faith, you can have all of them. Amen? Did Jesus move in all of them? Well, we don't know about tongues, but everything else he certainly did. Did Paul move in all of them? Certainly did, including tongues. Amen? Well, why was that? Well, because of the kind of faith that he had. Remember I showed you this, those of you here on Friday night will just mention it, I want to be as brief as possible. Come to Galatians chapter 3 and I want to deal with the main hindrance to this being released in the church now. Galatians chapter 3. I called you lovingly for fun, I called you foolish Rio Grandians. Remember I called you that on Friday night? You see, why should we sit around and let the devil act as if he owned the Rio Grande Valley when it's totally illegal according to the Word of God? Why, why should he strut around this place as if he owned it when Jesus Christ has given his blood to be the Lord of this valley? Why should the devil be permitted any longer to do his evil works and we don't rise up to undo them? Give me a scripture, I can't find one. You see, there's got to come a new indignation in our spirit. This is illegal, I'm not going to tolerate it, I'm going to get violent about these things. And if God didn't mean it, he shouldn't have written these things in the Bible. <laughs> Amen? If he wrote them in the Bible, he means what he says. Do you believe that? If he says, I'm going to do his works, I expect to do his works. If he says, I'm going to do Drake to works than he does, then that's what I expect. He can't blame me for demanding these things. If he said that I expect all the works of the evil one to be undone, I'm only being biblical. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. Start to get hold of this. So in verse 2 he asks a question. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's the answer? faith. Come down to verse 5. Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the answer obviously once again is by faith. How is it that so many of you speak in tongues? You probably do. How, I don't, how many of you speak in tongues? Wave your hands at me. See quite a large forest of hands go up. Well there are some down. I want you to get into this. There's nothing more blessed than praying in tongues is there? You know what it does according to Scripture? It says in Scripture that he that prays in an unknown tongue, he edifies himself. What it literally says in the Greek is that he builds a home for God to live in. It uses the word hoikodomio to build a house. 
So what you do is, as you pray in tongues, you enlarge your capacity for God to live in. How many of you have put an extension on your home, increased the number of bedrooms? Well, as you pray in tongues, you make a bigger and bigger home for God to live in in your heart. So the more you pray in tongues, the bigger God becomes in you. Amen? That's totally and absolutely biblical. That's a correct exegesis of this scripture. And it says at the same time, by the way, that a church that has a constant input of prophecy, it, it, it builds the church. It, in char, it, it enlarges the, the church's capacity for God. So tongues in, in, enlarges your personal capacity. Prophecy in char, enlarges our corporate p- capacity for God. So even tongues indirectly undoes the works of the evil one. Because when I'm charged with God, I'm a menace to the devil. Amen? And I like being a menace to the devil. Don't you? And so I pray and pray in tongues because I want to go on constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we speak in tongues because we had the faith to believe that we could. Right, I want you to go for a new faith target tonight. Say, right, I thank God. If you haven't got to tongues, you go for tongues. If you've got real faith, why not go straight to miracles? We've got people in the villages of India who've come out of raw Hinduism, who are so bound in demons. I mean, the first meeting they came to, as soon as we started to praise God, they were writhing on the ground like snakes because the demons in them were so tormented by the praise and worship. They would be calling out the names of the Hindu gods and saying, you know, Krishna is Lord. No, Krishna is Lord. And we'd have a praise battle. They'd be trying to praise Krishna. We'd be praising Jesus. Of course, Jesus always won. Hallelujah. So by the second or third meeting, all the demons were out of these people. They were now filled with the Holy Spirit. They were praising God. Now, some of these people who are just one or two years old in Christ, have been used of God for the most incredible miracles. Some have even raised the dead. In less than two years. So come on, folks. Amen? I want to explain what the problem is. Come with me. I mentioned this again on Friday. I want to pick it up again. Come to Mark 6. Just going to mention it here. Mark chapter 6. Jesus came to his own hometown in verse 3. And their response to him in verse 3, to to Jesus coming, isn't this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour, except in his own home country, among his own relatives in his own house, And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief. Now the problem here, which I explained on Friday, let me just mention it again for those of you who weren't here. The problem here was that Jesus had lived in Nazareth for 30 years and had lived a perfect, beautiful, sinless life but had never done a miracle because he was not yet anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so these people lived with a non-powerful Jesus for 30 years. They knew him as Jesus the carpenter. They knew him as this man who did, did, you know, lived a lovely life, was so kind and beautiful and gentle, and was such a comfort in trouble. He was all those wonderful attributes that many of us know about Jesus, but they'd never seen the Jesus with power. 
I want to suggest to you that most of us have grown up in a church where it's exactly the same condition. We've come to church for decades and we've never seen a miracle. We've never seen blind eyes open. We've never seen the lame leap out of a wheelchair. We've become so familiar with the non-powerful Jesus, we don't really believe the powerful Jesus exists. We've heard reports about him doing things in Africa and India and maybe in South America, but we don't believe he can really do it here. You see, they'd had the reports about Jesus, they'd never seen him do anything. You know, I've heard people say this, for example, concerning Reinhard Bonnke. He's come to England, he's come to America, he's not moved in the same power. They said, oh, well, he's just not anointed for our country. I tell you, there's nothing wrong with his anointing. What's wrong is the people. Because when Jesus came to his own hometown, they were so programmed to the non-powerful Jesus, to the Jesus that never did miracles, they were so familiar with him, they could tell you all about the Jesus that they knew, and the Jesus that they knew never did any miracles. Because they'd lived with him for years, and never seen him do anything. As a result, they couldn't receive the Jesus with power. They were offended by him. And therefore, it says in Scripture, in verse 6, he could do no great miracle there because of their unbelief. There was nothing wrong with Jesus. What was wrong was their unbelief. Right. You know, I found the same thing in England, and it's still pretty prevalent. In fact, it's very prevalent in the United States. I'm surprised, actually, how prevalent this is. And I tell you how God dealt with me. Quite a few years ago now, a woman in our church in her mid-40s, she had three children and she was now um, obviously a mature woman and she, she developed a condition and she called me. She, she came from a medical background and she had been taken by her family who were all doctors to the best consultants in London and they diagnosed a terrible condition. What had happened was that she had started to grow again in her mid-40s. She had increased in height by about one inch. And in particular, her hands had got larger and her feet had got larger. And they t said that it was a very serious condition and there was a tumour pressing upon the pituitary gland in the front of the forehead here and was messing up all her hormone balance. They said it's very serious, we're not at all sure we can operate and, and it, it, they said it's a very serious condition. So she was very worried, she called me and asked me to come around to her house and pray for her. Now up to this point of time, except when I was first born again, when I didn't know about unbelief, it's true, for the first few months of my Christian life, I thought the Bible was true and lived it, and then gradually I was taught the way of evangelicals more perfectly. <laughs> and I lost my faith. I didn't know this had happened, but that's what happened to me. And I lost that childlike simplicity that I once had. I now was full of head knowledge, but I'd lacked that simple childlike faith I had when I was first born again. And so I went to this woman's house and I felt something which I now know to be the power of God. Did you know the power of God is tangible? It's, it's something you can actually feel, and, it's, and it goes from person to person. It's a, it's a bit like electricity, but it's not, of course, electricity. It's the very power of God, but it's got a tangibleness about it. And sometimes you can feel it in the atmosphere, and you can feel it flow from person to person. 
And the Gospels quite frequently talk about the power of God. And Jesus feeling power go from him, and power going through him, and power being present for him to heal. And on this particular day, I felt like my arms were in plaster cast. They felt so heavy, and yet at the same time they were sort of glowing. They felt as if they were you know, burning with something. And I went to this woman's house and I thought, what is this strange feeling upon my arms? And it was just God's mercy to this woman. And so I went in the home and I, of course, you know, I came and prayed the pastor's prayer. She stood in this room. I laid my hands on her and to my surprise as I touched her, she went over backwards on the floor as if she'd been hit by a truck. And she went, oh! I said, what happened? <laughs> and she said, she said, I felt myself shrink. Now she'd had to buy new gloves and new shoes because she'd, she had two sizes larger, I think it was, in shoes and gloves because her hands and feet had got so big. She, and, and also, now her legs were unsteady and her eyesight was being affected. So she got up off the floor and she said, she said, my legs feel absolutely steady. And she said, my eyes, I can see perfectly. She went and got the old shoes which had now become too small for her and put them on her feet and they fitted her perfectly. In a fraction of a moment of time, she had shrunk back to her proper size. Just like that, boom, God had done it. It was later uh, confirmed by this great London hospital, every trace of this condition disappeared from her body, and I'm talking about probably 10 years ago now. And she's lived a perfectly healthy life to this day. It just vanished just like that. And that's the power of the God I've come to know. Yes. Hallelujah. But this is the point of my story. As I looked at this woman, and I sort of went, I felt a bit weak, so I went to the nearest chair and sat down. And I was, I was excited and joyful, and yet at the same time, I couldn't, and I said to her, I just can't believe this has happened. <laughs> and I understood for the first time a scripture, which I'm sure you've read also, which is a scripture concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And it says that when he appeared to his disciples, it says they believed not for joy. Have you ever read that scripture? I thought, what does that mean? How can you see the risen, visible, risen Lord Jesus Christ and not believe it? I knew exactly how they could now. Because here was the tangible evidence of this mightily healed woman and something in me couldn't believe it, although my eyes could see it. And I realized that I had what the Bible calls an evil heart of unbelief. You see, you don't come to faith by seeing things. You could actually see miracles and still not believe. The Pharisees did. They saw Lazarus come out of a tomb and they still wouldn't believe. How does faith come? Faith comes by the Word of God doing its work in us. And I discovered to my horror that in me there was something that wouldn't believe even though I had the evidence before my eyes. And the Bible calls it an evil heart of unbelief. And I said, God... I never knew I had this. And he said, that's why you are not seeing the power of God in your life. Oh, I thought it wasn't your sovereign will. He said, no, it's just your stinking unbelief. That's the problem. Yeah. And he said, furthermore, I hate it. 
And I said, Lord, I'm going to agree with you today. I'm going to hate this thing with all my might, just the way that you do. And I want to call every one of you in this meeting to agree with me. That unbelief is evil because it stops God doing his work. You see, it makes Jesus look powerless when he's really powerful. It makes Jesus seem as if he's not the answer when he is the answer. It allows the devil to strut around as if he owned the place when Jesus died and rose again that he might be Lord. It's your unbelief and my unbelief which is preventing him breaking forth in this valley with mighty power and there's no other reason for it whatsoever. Oh, it's not the time. Oh, don't give me that rubbish. Here am I! I'm always ready when there's darkness around. I'm always ready to be the light. I'm always ready to destroy the works of the evil one. You don't need a special moment. It's the passion of my heart, says the Lord. If you'll come to hate evil like I do, I'll work with you to destroy it, says the Lord. If you will let me deal with your unbelief, I'll give you the kind of faith that will be a channel for my power, says the Lord. But you recognize the condition. Now in Scripture, in the New Testament, there are two words for unbelief. I, I haven't any desire to be technical, but I do want to get the truth across to you. And these are the two words. The first one, the most usual one, in the Greek it's the word apistua. And it means the inability to cling to, to cast yourself with reliance upon, to, to stick to like glue would be a good... You know, the inability to cling hold of God's Word and stick to it through adverse circumstances. Because faith is the ability to stick to God's Word whatever the circumstances say. Now listen, the absence of faith is not unbelief. Unbelief is an activity against God. Please hear me. Because what unbelief does, it refuses. It refuses to stick to the Word of God, even when the evidence of our eyes confirms the Word of God. Now, that inability to cling to or stick to is just human nature. We all have this problem with us. But there's a second word in Scripture, and this is the word apithia. It's spelled A-P-E-I-T-H-E-O. That's how you'd write it in English. Apatheo. And this means the decision to refuse to believe. You see, in this second unbelief, there's a willfulness about it. It means to decide against. There's an action of will in the second kind of unbelief. There's an action of weakness in the first kind of unbelief. It means to be non-compliant. I won't. I refuse to. You will not persuade me. Don't try and tell me this stuff. Now that's the way this second kind of unbelief speaks. Now in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, it speaks of the children of Israel having an evil heart of unbelief in turning from the living God. And it comes down to verse 18 and says God was angry with them and said that they would die in the wilderness because they had this kind of unbelief, the kind of unbelief that says, I refuse to believe. They said, oh, it's impossible for us to go into the promised land. There's no way that God could conquer these giants. God couldn't possibly to break open these cities. They had decided already he couldn't do it. And so it says they died in the wilderness 
because really they set their decision against God. You know, and that's the, that's the same scripture that's used in John chapter 3 and verse 36 when it says this, He that believes in the Son of God has eternal life, but he that believeth not will not be saved, and it says the wrath of God abides on him, and that's the word that's used here. In other words, it's not that you, you're trying to believe in Jesus, but you're having a problem. It's deciding that you will not believe that consigns you to hell. No one is ever sent to hell because of their sins. Can you hear me? No one ever went to hell because they, they went to hell because they refused to believe God's answer to their sins. And that's why God's angry. You see, God isn't angry with weakness of unbelief, but he is angry with willfulness of unbelief. And I want you to tell me what kind of unbelief you've got. If you're like, you see, this is why God was so merciful to the father of the demoniac boy. He, he said, oh Lord, if you can do anything, please help me. And Jesus said, if I can help you, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And then the man cried out, Oh Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And he didn't use the word epithio, he used the word episteo. In other words, I'm trying to believe, but there's something inside me that won't. Please help me. That may be your problem. If you'll cry to God, he will help you. And he will turn your inability to believe into a great power to believe. He can deal with the weak kind of unbelief, but he cannot deal with the willful unbelief. Which kind have you got? You see, you need this faith to be saved. You need this faith to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need this faith every step of the way with God. You see, Abraham was not a man who believed naturally. God picks his illustrations very carefully in the Bible. When God told Abraham that he was going to have a son through his wife Sarah, what did he do in Ge Genesis 17? He actually laughed. Is that not true? He said, how can I have a son through my wife Sarah? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And what God did was, he then started a process in Abraham's life which caused Abraham to come from the weakness of unbelief to the power of faith. And if you will open your heart tonight, it can happen to you. You can see the process in Romans chapter 4. We'll look at it very quickly. I don't want to spend time on it, but just look at it and you'll see this process. It says in verse 17 that God promised Abraham that he will become the father of many nations. He promised him that through him all the families of the earth were going to be blessed. It says in verse 17 that God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist, and they do. God takes the things which are not and they are. In verse 18, we find there that contrary to hope, he went on hoping. It says, he did, verse 19, he didn't become weak in faith, although he did consider his own body already dead, and he considered the fact that Sarah's room was already dead. But it says in verse 20, he did not waver at, at the promise. Literally, he did not decide against God. He said, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm not going to say you can't. 
I don't know how you're going to fill the Rio Grande with your glory, especially through a little nobody like me, but I'm not going to say you can't. See, that's all God's asking you to do. You set your heart to be persuaded by God and He'll persuade you. You set your heart not to be persuaded and you'll stay in unbelief for the rest of your life and you'll die in the wilderness just like those Israelites did. And you'll miss the blessing of God and possibly lose your salvation as well. I tell you, unbelief is a fearful thing to live with. You better learn to hate it the way God does because it stops everything coming to you and it stops everything coming through you. This whole valley could be filled with glory if only God's people would believe. And there are thousands going to hell every day because of the unbelief of God's people. We've got to repent of our unbelief and say, God, I don't know how to believe, but I want to learn. Lord, I rise up in my spirit to hate unbelief the way that you do. Help my unbelief. And God will start a process of bringing you, persuading you, working in you by his word until you come to faith. Because that's what he did with Abraham. It says in verse 19, Abraham did not decide against God. I'm sorry, verse 20. And then it says in the next phrase, but it says in my Bible, he was strengthened in faith. In some Bibles it says, he grew strong in faith. What I want you to see here, this in the Greek language is, is in what's called the passive voice. And when something's in the passive voice, it means that the subject of the verb is inactive, having something done to him. Abraham wasn't trying to work up faith in himself because that was impossible. What Abraham did was he subjected himself to a process whereby God put faith in him. See, that's why God can call you wicked if you refuse to believe, because he's prepared to make you into a believer if you're prepared to be made into a believer. Just imagine going to the dentist. When you go to the dentist, the dentist doesn't expect you to do anything except sit in the chair, lie back, open your mouth, and he works on you. The more passive you are, the easier it is for the dentist. Is that not true? And he, and he looks into your mouth and he finds in your mouth all sorts of horrible decay. I tell you, our mouths are filled with negative confession. And when God looks into the mouth of his saints, he finds that our mouths are filled with evil unbelief and the bad smell comes out of our mouth in all sorts of negative confession. He says, I want to fix your mouth. I want you to confess my word as it is. Your mouth, says the Lord, and I will fill it. Amen? That's what he says. So you, it's like going to the dentist. You say, Lord, my mouth is full of unbelief. There's, there's decay everywhere. There's so many things where I've said negative things, but I want you to change me. So God looks into your mouth and starts to drill away. And you, and you lie there in passive submission while he drills out all the unbelief. And finally, he fills all those cavities with his own golden faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all you do is to lie there and let God do his work, and when he's finished his work, you go out filled. Hallelujah. And when you open your mouth, the goldness of God's faith comes out of your mouth. And all you've done is to let God do it for you. That's exactly what God did for Abraham. It says he was empowered with faith, giving glory to the Lord. Oh, what a wonderful dentist. 
He's changed my whole mouth until my whole mouth now, all it can do is to confess the truth of God. Before, it used to confess all sorts of negative things, but now it can't do that any longer because God's changed my mouth. Amen? Oh, call on God for this, beloved. Cry to Him for this. And that's why it says in verse 21 that when God had finished His dentistry with Abraham, drilled out the negative confession out of his mouth, filled it with his own golden faith, which was done as a free gift, didn't cost him a cent. All he had to do was to come and submit to the process. And God gave him his own glorious faith as a free gift. That's what he'll do for you. And he says in verse 21 that Abraham now, having laughed at what God said in Genesis 17, he's now fully persuaded that what God had said, he was also well able to perform. Hallelujah. And that could happen to every one of us in this room. And if we will come to that place of faith, there's nothing that God cannot do through us. Amen? Yeah. You see, unbelief is an evil wall that stops God working. And faith is a power that allows God to work. And even if you're in neutral position, it's amazing what God can do. If you go to the end of Mark 6, I won't turn to it because we're running short of time. You go to the end of Mark 6, you find Jesus goes to another part, the other side of Galilee, to the land of the Gennesaret. It's not a land of his own people. These are not Jews. They are just outside the Jewish uh, land. But they have heard about Jesus. And all they ever heard about Jesus is that he is a new prophet of the Jews who does miracles. They are not familiar with Jesus the way the Jews are. They're not familiar with Jesus the way the Nazarenes are. They've only ever heard about Jesus the prophet who does miracles. And when I saw this scripture, I understood why it was that when we move in the Hindu villages of India, we see so many things happen. Not because the Hindus have got faith, but they haven't got unbelief. <laughs> Hear me. They haven't got unbelief. And all that those Hindus have ever heard about Jesus is that he's the powerful God of the Christians who does miracles. That's all they know about him. So when they bring their sick to the meetings, what do you think happens? He heals them. And if you read the end of Mark 6, they brought to Jesus all their sick. They carried them all to Jesus and it says he healed them all. The same Jesus in two situations and the most difficult for him was his own hometown. And I saw why it was, we saw so much in India, we see so much in Africa, we see so little in England, and the same reason I believe in the United States, we know too much about Jesus, the non-powerful Jesus, to let him work. And we've got to repent of our unbelief. Let me now tell you three things that we need for God to work. Come to Luke's Gospel. Just be a few minutes and we'll close. Come to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Well, notice in the way that we find Jesus at prayer. We won't come down to verse 17. It happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. See, the first thing that you must do to produce, if you like, to see the power of God is we need to produce a climate of faith. A climate of unbelief stops God from working. A climate of faith allows God to work. 
And I'm not talking just about the meetings, I'm talking about in your office, in the school where you work, in the factory, everywhere, you go as a positive believer itching to do the works of God and you will produce a climate of faith in which God can work. Amen? Don't just do it in the church here, do it out there because that's where God really wants to convince the world that the prince of this world has been judged. And we all have this responsibility. And so God, by your grace, I'm going to be an instrument of producing a climate of faith. Would you say that? And God, I'm going to be at war with unbelief. I hate unbelief the way you do. I'm going to step out actively to destroy. I mean, you see, I had to keep stepping out against my unbelief to put it to death. And I had to do ridiculous things. Well, you see, if you step out and nothing happens, all you do is to make a fool of yourself. So what? Is that important? Learn to die. If you put your hands on someone's head and pray for them, they never ever get worse. (laughs) Amen? Amen? And something could flow from you to them that could absolutely transform their lives. You start to get into the place of faith and see what God will do through you. Don't confine it to the church. You get out there and in the world you produce a climate of faith. And of course when we're all gathered together in a meeting like this, the atmosphere should be absolutely electric. And I believe it is tonight. Do you believe it is tonight? I believe the Lord's power is here to heal. And we're going to see that in a moment. And even now, you change your heart and say, God, I'm going to contribute to the faith. I'm not going to contribute to the unbelief. I want to see your glory here. Come to Luke chapter 6. Verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. See, here's this power of God. So, number one, we need a climate of faith for God to work in. In a climate of unbelief, even God cannot work. Amen? We need a climate of faith for God to work. And then, secondly, we need a channel of faith for God to flow through. You see, the Spirit of God did His works through Jesus, and the Spirit of God does His works through you and me. Really... providing we believe. Now what did we need in order to be a channel for God to work through? Number one, you need to be clean. And if you're unholy and full of sin, well you better get clean. Number two, you need to have an attitude of faith. We'll come back more fully in a moment. You've got to believe in what God can do through you. Number three, you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You learn to tune in your radio, uh, your, your sort of spiritual radio, to hear what God's saying and do whatever He says. Which brings me to number four. Number four, you've got to be obedient. And if you make a mistake, God's not going to chide you. He's just going to say, well, never mind, you blew it that time. Never mind, try it again. He's not going to worry about it. 
He'd rather you had a go than you were too scared to have a go. I believe, believe me, that's true. Yeah. Good, good. Are you prepared to be a channel? Yeah. Right, when we come to number three, Luke 8. Luke chapter 8. And verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years had spent all her livelihood on physicians who could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude throngs you and presses you and you say, Who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. See, it was a touch of a different kind. This was a touch of faith. So if you want to see healing in your own body tonight and then you want to be a channel of faith to others, you better deal with the faith in your own heart. If you come to receive in faith, you're going to experience something from God tonight. Just imagine that, uh, let's say this microphone stand here, just imagine that's charged with electricity and it's got, say, 500 volts there. If I take a plastic rod and tap it, Nothing will happen. You don't know it's charged with power because plastic is not a good conductor. But if I put down the plastic rod and pick up a copper rod or a silver rod and touch it, the power will flow. You see, there has to be a conductor between the power of God and the point of need. And that's why you and I are called to be conductors. We're not the source, we're simply a channel. God's the source. Don't get into a sweat. Don't try and make anything happen. Just say, Lord, I'm available to be your channel. It rests up to him. Amen? And similarly, if you want to receive something from God, the power of God can be there. The conductor can be in good condition. But if you stand there like a block of plastic, it can't get into you because of your unbelief. I've had people come up to me and they look as miserable as sin and they sort of think, well, what can you do for me? They said, I've had 43 people pray for me already and none of them could heal me. What can you do? I say, probably nothing. It's your unbelief that's going to stop you being healed. But this woman, she had the touch of faith. She touched the most perfect channel of faith and God's power was there and... She got all she needed. Hallelujah. I was in a church two weekends ago. A little, frail, little old Baptist lady and this Baptist church had never ever seen the power of God. They didn't even know what it was. And this little old Baptist lady who was riddled with, with arthritis, she was all curled up. She had a great um, calcified lump on her shoulders and her husband was the most opposed to the Holy Spirit in the church. He hated this doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He was a, fat, you know, a strong, evangelical, anti-Holy Spirit and he was sitting there looking like thunder in the front row. Because I dare to say a few things which were not according to his doctrine. And this little old lady came forward and I touched her and the power of God hit her and she just went berserk and that great lump on her back just physically disappeared and she began running around the church. She said, I'm all healed. She said, I feel like I've drunk a bottle of whiskey, she said. <laughs> and her husband was running around after tears saying, oh my God, this is wonderful. Oh my, I never knew that Jesus ever did these. I thought the miracles were finished. And these two, these two were running round and round the church in absolute ecstasy. 
Hallelujah. See, this little lady had the touch of faith. She didn't know enough theology, thank God. <laughs> Amen? All right, three things then, and we're finished. If you want to move in the power of God, number one, you have to believe in what you have. Or if you like, you've got to believe in who you are. Come to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Here's Peter. Verse 32. It came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda, and there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, and he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. And then he arose immediately, so all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. You see, Peter knew who lived in him. Who lives in you? Come on, a bit more positive. Who lives in you? We said this Friday night, all the fullness of God bodily dwelt in Jesus and he lives in me. Amen? Is that not who you have? In uh, the story of the little widow woman in, the, the, in 2 Kings 4, the little widow woman, Elisha says to the widow woman, what have you got in your house? She says, and she says, all the creditors are coming to take away my two sons. We're about to be absolutely destroyed by the devil. He says, what have you got in your house? She says, oh, just this little pot of oil. A source of fire. And as she started to pour it out, it just went on increasing and increasing. See, what have you got? You've got all the fullness of God. You've got the Holy Spirit. And many people despise who they have in them. They don't recognize the glorious power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that works all these things. And cancer's not a problem to the Holy Spirit. Arthritis isn't a problem to the Holy Spirit. Every kind of disease that Satan's ever put on any human body, it's a pushover to the Holy Spirit. He works all these things. What have you got in your house? Oh, nothing much. Just all the power of the Holy Spirit, that's all. You see, if you despise it, then you're not going to see the blessing of God. You start to pour it out. And she found, when she started to pour it out, she had an inexhaustible supply. Try it and see whether you don't have the same supply. Number one, you've got to believe in what you have. Maybe that's where your faith has to begin. You've got to believe in who you have and who lives in you and what he's able to do through you. Number two, in Acts chapter 3, we looked at this on Friday night, Peter came to the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. You know the story? Let's look at it just for a moment. Acts chapter 3. Peter came to the, man at the, the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, verse 6, and Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's number two. You see, it's not enough to pray for people. What you have to do is to give them what you have. And that's an act of faith that's very hard to describe, but if you give, give yourself over to God, you will learn how to do it. 
What you do is, by an act of faith, you believe in who lives in you and the power of him who lives in you, and then by your faith, you sort of throw over a faith switch which releases what you have to flow to that person to meet their need. And it doesn't take more than a couple of seconds normally to give them what you have. Just give it to them. Let me just stop for a minute now. Just in this block here, I know there are more than one, but in this block here, just about the middle there, there is a lady who has pain in her back here right now. Would you just stand up please and come out to the front right now? Just in that area there. That's right, come out dear, that's right. And you've got pain in your back right now. Come on, my love. You've got pain in the back right here. You've had it for a long time. Is it arthritis? I don't know what it is. Will you come forward, my love? And, and don't misjudge me that I walk unsteady. I've had cataracts and I've had arthritis. All right. I'm not going to judge you at all. I'm just going to, you're just going to receive something from God. I'm going to pray for this. I want you just to see something. Father, I thank you for this precious lady, and I do wish that she was well. I so long for you to heal her. Oh, dear Lord, please bless her. Now, if I pray like that, nothing happens. Can you see that? Nothing's happened yet, okay? Right, I'm now going to give her what I've got, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the power of God living in me. And right now, in Jesus' name, I give her what I have. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now let that power flow right through this precious woman right now, Lord. Let the glory of God just pour into her from top to toe until she's totally restored in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Now is that back healed now? Is it healed? Put it to the test. Yes? Is it gone? Okay, there's a, okay, is that okay? She said she's healed. Now, okay, now I want a man here in the middle block here who's got an injury in his, or at least he's got pain in his right knee. I suspect it's a football injury. It's sort of in, it's sort of in the, it's in this block here. Is a, is a young, sort of fairly active sort of man and he's got pain in his right knee right now. Would you come forward now, right, please now. Just come, in Jesus' name. Right there, in that block there. I know he's here. I know the trouble is, I mean, Eileen said, and the person never came till afterwards. I want you to come right now, please. There's pain in your right knee. And I, I suspect that, it, I know it's an athletic sort of injury and you're, you're in pain. I want, I want you to just come right now in Jesus' name. In that middle block, and I think it's in the back third there, somewhere in that block there. No one's going to come forward, all right. Anybody else in the meeting is in that condition? You're in that condition, well you better come. Okay. That puzzles me, but we'll sort that out later. You've both got that, you've both got this condition. In your right knee. And it's pain. All right, just come and stand here. Okay. I'm just going to... Okay, my love. Are you okay now? Okay, let me pray for this man. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just loose your power into this knee, the power that raised Jesus Christ with it, and I give this man what I have. In the name of Jesus, be healed right now. Heal this knee in Jesus' name. Okay? How does it feel? It's gone, is it? Just jump around on it. Make sure that it's healed. Is that okay? When I dance with the guy. All right. Is it gone? No, not hurt. Okay. Have you got pain in that knee now? All right. 
In the name of Jesus, I just loose the power of God into this knee right now and be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed. Is it gone? It's gone. These two men are healed right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There's still someone there somewhere, but... It's my left knee, but it's... Well, we'll pray for it, but it still doesn't satisfy me. Okay. In the name of Jesus, I just loose your power into this knee right now, Lord. Command healing in the name of Jesus. I give me what I have in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Try that. Is it gone? Is it gone? Jump around and make sure. Is it gone? Amen. All right. Okay. Now, do you need anything else, my love? What else do you want from God? The way I've been coughing. The way you've been coughing isn't good. Let me pray for you that every infirmity in your body, every attack of Satan upon this body, I come against it in the mighty name of Jesus, and I totally and utterly destroy it. Loose your power into her, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Right, this is the last thing I want to say, and that's this. When a baby grows to about the age of 10 or 11 months, it's been crawling around on its hands and knees for a few months, but then it starts to look at the grown-ups who are walking around on their feet, and it sort of looks up and says, Oh, I would love to do that. And so at about 11 months or a year, it starts to get up on its feet and it stands there all shaky going, ga, 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 because inside it knows it was born to walk. It wasn't born to crawl on its hands and knees for the rest of its life. Now, when a little baby starts to try to walk, have you ever seen a father do this? Here comes proud father to see little Johnny and he's going, ga, 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 ga. He says, he says, oh, look. Are you okay now, my dear? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. He says, oh, look, little Johnny's trying to walk. Have you ever seen a father do this? Johnny, who do you think you are trying to walk like a grown-up adult? Get down on your hands and knees where you belong, and don't you ever try to walk again. <laughs> Have you ever seen a father treat his children like that? I tell you, beloved, your heavenly Father longs for you to walk. The scripture says in Colossians 2.16, it says that those that believe in him, uh, sorry, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk ye in him. It's in him that you do these things. And in 1 John 2.6, it says, those that say that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ ought also to walk even as he walked. Amen? So if you've got a desire to walk like Jesus, it's from God. It isn't presumption. Wonderful. Got it? Yes. Thank you. you were born to do miracles. Yes. Yes. I and the children that the Lord have given me, they are for signs and wonders in order that we might dispel the demonic darkness. As long as there's demonic darkness, we're going to need the miracles of God, beloved because there's still works of the devil to undo. Amen? 
and you were born for this. Right. And inside you, there's a desire, oh, I want to walk like Jesus. Oh, but I think that's presumptuous. I better not try and do that. Beloved, that's the Spirit of God crying in your heart. Yes. Get up off your hands and knees and walk. Yes. And then when this little one gets up off his hands and knees and stands on his feet, he feels ever so, I said, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I feel so strange. I better get back on my hands and knees. Don't you dare do that. You stay. And when he tries to walk, what does he do? He takes a little step or two, then, boom, he falls down. He bangs his head. And then he tries again. Bang! And in those months of trying to learn to walk, he bangs his head, he bangs his nose, he gets cuts and bruises. It's a very painful time learning to walk. You think, why doesn't he give up and stay on his hands and knees? Because inside him there's a compulsion. Inside him there's a compulsion. Inside him there's a compulsion. He knows he was born to walk like his father. And so are you, my beloved one. When you received the spirit of adoption, when the Holy Spirit came into you and cried, you're a son of the living God, he said, you are to walk like my son Jesus and you'll be never be satisfied until you do. So get up and walk in his name. And if you fall down, what do you do? Get up again. If you fall down, what do you do? Get up again. If you get hurt, if you are made to look stupid, if you try to pray for someone and they get sick rather worse rather than better, you just carry on. Because you know you were made for this. Amen? I once heard John Wimber say this. He said, you know, in the first year that I tried to move in the supernatural, I caught the diseases of the people that I prayed for. <laughs> He said we had the most spectacular failures. <laughs> but in him, he thought, well, if the Bible's true and God's true, I'm supposed to be doing this stuff. And I'll persevere until I do. And finally, he broke through into the realm where God could now work through him. He can do the same for you. So I'm not promising you an easy ride. I'm promising you that you will step out and you will probably have a few painful experiences. But if you persevere, you're going to end up walking like Jesus. Amen. So now we're going to pray. I want you all to please stand, if you would. Maybe the musicians would like to come. Don't lose... God's presence, just be very careful not to disturb the presence of God. Please keep it absolutely, reverently conscious of God, please. This is a very important moment. This is what I want you to do. I want you to agree with me, as far as you're concerned, if you've heard the word of God, you say, God, I've come to hate unbelief the way that you do. Will you confess that? Make that good confession. Say, God... You've convicted me of unbelief. I didn't know it was in my heart. But I've come to hate it the way you do. And I'm going to wage war on it with all my might. Will you do for me what you did for Abraham? Will you bring me to faith? Bring me to faith, Lord. Deal with my evil heart of unbelief. Until I can believe that what God has said, he's also well able to perform. You've said that I, Lord, am your child. I believe I'm your child. 
and your children are for signs and wonders to destroy the demonic darkness and I give myself to you to that end now I want you to ask Father will you, will you anoint me now with your spirit with the anointing so I can move into the realm of the spirit and there will be manifestations of the Holy Spirit through me for the sake of the world Lord I'm reaching out to possess new manifestations of the Spirit and God I want to move in the realm of miracles I want to move in the realm of healing I want the works of Satan to be destroyed through my hands in Jesus name and right now I'm reaching out for an anointing of the Spirit of power I'm getting up I won't crawl anymore on my hands and knees I will stand and by your grace I will walk like Jesus and do his works to your glory in his mighty name now this block here on this right hand or, or your left hand block now just reach out and receive now